The views, opinions, and advice expressed in this podcast are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of Patterson Media or the sponsors of this program. Breathe out. Wellness is... Intuitive eating and the definition is the combination of emotion, intuition, and rational thoughts. I really hated vegetables. I think there was a solid four years where I didn't eat a vegetable. Waste is waste, whether it's in your body or in the garbage. If there was an acceptance that our capacity to notice and feel the entire spectrum of emotion only means that we can feel more of every emotion... Welcome to Choosing Wellness, a podcast for practical advice about how to attain better physical and mental well-being so that instead of just surviving, you're thriving. Choosing Wellness is powered by Pattison Media. Now, in this series, we'll share a health journey, explore the trends, and talk to the experts who'll help you live your best life, and we'll have fun doing it. In this episode, we talk with Julie Daniluk, one of Canada's best-known nutritionists, about sugar. A being real story that was life-changing. Life Unlimited Stephanie Staples talks about soul food and a mindfulness moment with Lisa Dumas. I'm Linda Freeman. Come join the journey of choosing wellness. Health Tag. With our health tag, like hashtags, we explore what's trending in the world of wellness. Today, it's a look into dieting, Now, what is the stat? Something like 90 to 95% of diets fail, and for good reason. John D. Landles is an advocate for health at every size. His philosophy is that it's time to redefine your definition of health and find something that helps you feel better, live better, and live happily ever after for life. Johnny, welcome. Now, how would you describe yourself? I am an anti-diet fitness coach. I help people with their relationships with food to help them listen to their bodies and trust their bodies rather than trust diets and external methods of food intake. And I apply fitness and strength training and aerobic training and things like that as well. And you struggled with your weight growing up, being bullied. And through exercise and good nutrition, you found your way. And then through your training, you've learned about something that quite frankly changed your trajectory to where you are today. I was doing a coaching certification on how to be a better coach. And within this course, they mentioned the terms disordered eating. This idea of rigidly tracking your calories and macros, rigidly relying on external plans, rigidly weighing yourself all of the time, having major anxiety if you couldn't exercise or couldn't eat perfectly. Lots of like yo-yo weight loss, weight gain, loads of anxiety and insecurities about your body. I was just looking at it and thinking this is defining my entire life right now and that sparked what was a three-year journey of learning about disordered eating learning about intuitive eating and then finally as well learning much more about the health at every size movement and also a lot more about the science of losing weight and keeping it off now for clarification Disordered eating and eating disorders like anorexia or bulimia, they do share some commonalities, 
But an eating disorder is a clinical diagnosis, and disordered eating refers to abnormal eating patterns that do not meet the criteria for an eating disorder. So, Johnny, can you give an example of disordered eating? Yeah, so let's say that you are so obsessed with your macronutrients all the time that it is affecting your social health and it's affecting your quality of life because you're not able to eat out at restaurants anymore or you're not able to have any candy at any point because your calories are so low. So you have like this fear of weight gain as well as an obsession with macros that has become anxiety inducing that it's not conducive to a healthy life and that would be a disordered eating habit. And what do you think we need to do when it comes to building healthy food habits? If you come at this from a place of abundance where foods aren't off limits and you talk to people a lot more about eating foods that they enjoy, having a balance of foods where they're truly kind of listening to their body, their thoughts and their emotions all at the same time, that's the combination of intuitive eating. You get to a position where you're eating foods that you know how to prepare, you know how to cook, you are culturally associated with. Like that's such a massive piece in terms of different cultures and nations and families all have such different food rituals and delicacies and culinary habits and all of these things. And that should be definitely honoured for each individual person as opposed to the western wellness of clean eating is a very specific view doesn't fit the majority of the population healthy eating means getting enough nutrients enough food in general and a good variety of food that includes a broad mixture of meats fish grains nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables and you can eat those in the combination that feels good to you then you can see people's light bulbs kind of flick on and go, oh, wow, okay, well, if that's what healthy eating means, how do I want that to look like? And how would you describe intuitive eating? Intuitive eating in the definition terms is the combination of emotion, intuition, and rational thoughts. You're going to have different levels of hunger on a day-to-day basis. On a meal-by-meal basis, your body's going to want and need different nutrition. So the point is to try and build that trust back into your body to go, How hungry am I right now? What is my body telling me that I need from a satisfaction perspective in terms of taste, texture, and when is my next opportunity to eat? Listening to your fullness, stopping when you've had enough, knowing that no foods are off limits, but then also knowing how your body feels legitimately when you eat certain foods so that you can work towards what we call body food congruence, where you're eating in a way that matches not only your personal values, but how your body feels on a day-to-day basis as well. So you're saying being conscious of your needs and then thinking about our thoughts and feelings and how they affect what we eat. Our thoughts affect our feelings, our feelings then affect our behaviours. That's the key link that we need to remember. And so if we can get so conscious of our thoughts and understand when we have negative thoughts about food, that they're ultimately not going to serve our behaviours then we can reframe them, right? And that's the really, really key piece. And that's why making peace with food and having unconditional permission to eat and rejecting the diet mentality are the first few pillars of intuitive eating because you can't have any judgment about food. You can't have any judgment about your body because if you have those things, you're going to be constantly filled with negative thoughts And it's those negative thoughts that lead to negative behavior patterns that don't actually serve you. There's also the idea, 
of if you can't have something, you want more of it. But if you say it's okay to have it, you kind of change that dialogue. You change the relationship. Yeah. Part of intuitive eating is about learning the food voices inside of your head and which ones are helpful and which ones are unhelpful and what you just described there as well. Because when you say it to yourself, it's like, I'm not allowed this. The diet rebel inside of you is like, yeah, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? And it's like, what is the the point? You know, and it's and, and you asked about how do we make healthy eating enjoyable. I think again, it's it's just knowing we're like eating cupcakes and cookies and all of those good things is, is part of eating healthy. Thanks, Johnny. What a great way to look at having a healthy relationship with what we eat. Really listening to ourselves and developing positive messaging and how we look at, think, and feel about food. Johnny Landles is a nutritionist, strength coach, and online health coach who works with chronic dieters to ditch the diet mentality overcome disordered eating, and finally get results that last. To share in the discussion on healthy eating, tag us using hashtag health tag. Being real. Katie Stewart is a nutritionist and clear skin advocate who's seen an incredible change in her life through food. It wasn't easy, but her journey has healed her pain. This is Katie's story. This is Being Real. Growing up, I was the kid that was sitting at the dinner table for three hours after dinner because I wouldn't eat my vegetables or I wouldn't take a bite bite of chicken. And growing up in the early 90s, like, you know, I ate the toaster strudels and the pop tarts and the tricks and like all of these big brand name foods, the cereals. And like, I remember going to 7-Eleven with a toonie. And for $2, you can get a full brown bag of one cent candies at 7-Eleven and a Slurpee. And I would do that every day because I lived down the street from a 7-Eleven. And this is how I grew up. My mom did a really great job of making us home-cooked meals. And we had to be home at dinner time. But as I got older, she didn't have control over what I could eat. My family actually called me Carbocate because all I ate was carbs. I ate bread and pasta and cheese and crackers and chips and ice cream. That's all I wanted to eat. And it just kind of continued on like that through all of high school and then going out into university. Like that's a whole new world. You're like, oh man, my mom's not here. I can eat whatever I want. And I really hated vegetables. I think there was a solid four years where I didn't eat a vegetable. I don't think I ate much fruit unless it was the orange juice in my vodka orange juice at the bar. And then, you know, when I was in my last year of university, I got an internship where my job was to go out to the best restaurants in Hamilton. And there were so many of them that I would get to these restaurants and try their must-have menu items. And it was like the wall burger where it was like a foot high burger where I'm like, I don't even like, how do I even eat this? Or deep to Chicago style pizza or like deep fried Mars bars, like whatever that must-have item. And I loved it. I loved my job. I had zero want to eat healthy. I did not feel good and I didn't realize I didn't feel good because I had been like this my whole life. Having migraines so debilitating that I had to lay in a dark room and I can't even cry because it'll make the pain worse or like clenching my stomach because of the pain. I remember my mom taking me to the ER in the middle of the night once because my stomach pain was so bad and I had to get a shot of pain reliever in my glute and I just thought this was normal. I thought I was supposed to feel bloated. I thought I was supposed to feel hormonal and crazy. I was like, I guess that's just my personality. There's nothing I can do about that. And it really impacted so much of my life. It really is that emotional, mental impact. 
And then when I started working on the gluten-free cooking show, I was like, what is gluten? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. I soon discovered that my weekly migraines that I had a prescription from the doctor for that made me go numb. Like I would have to call into work often because my migraines were so severe and the medication I took made me feel like a zombie. Like I would just lay on the couch and literally drool because it was so intense. My migraines cleared up and I had had migraines since I was in kindergarten. My stomach issues completely gone. I no longer had really horrible stomach pains and stomach aches and like intestinal cramping. So I started to see, oh my gosh, by changing these foods, these symptoms that I thought were just part of being me have cleared up. And I'm like, okay, well, what happens if I try and get rid of dairy? So then I remove gluten and dairy from my diet. 90% of my symptoms cleared. And around the same time of working in TV and discovering these issues with food, I also started to develop acne. Working in television, you can imagine if you have a face in front of an HD camera every day, having acne was like, not fun. And I remember asking our cameraman, James, to be like, hey, can we like do a wide shot for this? Can we do it from like this angle? I, I need to part my hair this way. Can I stand this way? And I also at this time worked for Hockey Night in Canada. I spent 14 seasons working at Hockey Night in Canada. And so I was rubbing elbows with some really important people in the TV world. So I was doing tours and, and meeting NHL alumni and, you know, all of our hosts. So I started to feel really self-conscious about my skin. And, you know, I'm a pretty confident person. So for me to lose that self-esteem and lose that confidence and just constantly thinking about my skin and worrying that people were judging me, I was like, I need to figure this out. So on one hand, here I am realizing that food got rid of my migraines and digestive issues and all that kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, I wasn't really linking my skin to my internal issues. So I went back to nutrition school and I, again, I totally fell in love with it. And I remember in my first textbook, I started to kind of piece that together and really dug deep into those core root causes of not just acne, but most health issues. And that's poor gut health, which in my case was from a lifetime of eating really inflammatory foods, drinking alcohol in my twenties. And when I dug into that and I was like, okay, let's clean house, let's repair, let's get the gut happy, let's get the liver and, and the colon and the kidneys and the lymph, really work on your different hormones, whether it's your estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, insulin. And I really focused on that alongside, of course, a nice nourishing skincare routine and a lot of mindset work for childhood traumas. My acne cleared up. And to this day, like I don't suffer with acne anymore. And I, I never thought I would be in that position of having clear skin and not having migraines and not having these stomach aches. And it all went back to the food that I had grown up eating this whole time. My family is shocked I'm a nutritionist because they remember what it was like having a five-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 16-year-old, 20-year-old Katie who wanted to eat nothing but carbs all the time. So it's shown me how important the food and the substances that we put into our body is. And we always kind of give it a wash, you know, especially in the last decade. And now, you know, it's that coin's finally turning where we're seeing, in fact, the food we do eat, the things we drink, you know, the thoughts we put into our brain, all of these things have such a massive impact on our health. And when I saw the changes that I had in my own body, I was like, man, like more people need to know about this. It probably took me another three years of like flip-flopping on the fence, off the fence, on the fence, off the fence. And I kind of felt like I was never going to be able to stick to it. And I realized that it's because I was trying to deprive myself of all of my favorite 
comfort foods. I was just trying to, you know, not eat them, which is really hard. So I realized as I became a nutritionist, a big part of my teachings was going to be how can I make healthy eating yummy? Like, right? How can I take my favorite comfort foods, get creative in the kitchen, and then still be able to enjoy them? So when I started, you know, being able to make my Nona's lasagna gluten and dairy free, or, you know, a bread, or a mac and cheese, or a pizza, whatever it may be, when I was able to create those healthy recipes, that's what really made it sustainable and doable for me. Now I'm like almost 13 years into this healthy eating thing. And now it's second nature to me. I go to a restaurant, I'm like, oh, not like, oh man, I wish I could eat that. I'm like, oh man, like look at all the options on the menu that I have to eat. So I, I really worked hard to retrain my brain to say, look at all the things I can have. And when you change this mindset, it, it's really incredible. There's so many other alternatives. Katie Stewart uses her life experience, education, and knowledge to help others find clear skin and a healthy way to live. You can find her at katiestewartwellness.com. How to choose wellness. You take a lot of sugar, your body is overwhelmed, and you develop what's called insulin resistance, and that sugar stays there. It then gets deposited as fat. It causes inflammation. Fat is hormonally active tissue, and then that gets you on that pathway to metabolic syndrome, cancers, cardiovascular disease. Julie Daniluk is a registered holistic nutritionist and a highly sought after anti-inflammatory expert and speaker. That's how we first met. And after graduating from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, she studied culinary arts at George Brown College. You're an award-winning author as well, Julie, of four number one national best-selling books, one of which was Becoming Sugar-Free. That's your latest one. Welcome to Choosing Wellness. So happy to have you here. Well, Linda, thank you for letting me play in the sandbox with you and help raise up the vibes of everyone who's looking for health solutions. But why do we crave sugar in our lives so much, Julie? (laughs) I think it's because we crave sweetness in our lives. So when life is hard, when life is sour, when life is difficult and bitter, then of course we're going to reach for that sugar because it's the closest thing to human breast milk. It's the closest thing to what we remember. You would get soothed typically with formula or breast milk. And that was immediately hitting your brain with all those feel-good chemicals. And we never forgot. And now we reach for that sweetness And we especially reach for that sweetness if our blood sugar dips at all because our brain is very, very sensitive. Our brain gobbles up a huge amount of our sugar needs for the day. So if there's a dip in our blood sugar, our brain screams and says, give me more sugar now. Feed me. Right? So it has always been there in our lives. Can we start by also speaking to why is sugar so bad for us? Well, sugar, unfortunately, if it's out of balance, so I'll take you to the average person only has one teaspoon, five grams of sugar running around in their bloodstream at any one time. That's it. That's it. Five grams. Five grams. And when you think about it, we evolved over 200,000 years and it was pretty normal for us to have one teaspoon of sugar at a time. 
So it really wasn't until the last hundred years or so that we had these extremely strong carbohydrates that were so insulin spiking that it took us past that comfortable threshold. A diabetic only has seven grams of blood sugar. So our sugar that runs around in their bloodstream at any one time. So you can see the difference between a healthy amount of sugar and being diabetic or being in a state of hyperglycemia where we have too much sugar in our blood is such a delicate, tiny amount. It really is. When we bash ourselves with 14 teaspoons of sugar in a large pot or a carton of ice cream, or in my case, I would eat an entire box of cookies with the ice cream in a 3,000 calorie binge. Well, then your blood sugar goes up so high that the insulin comes to your rescue and says, okay, well, we better put all this away. Oh, shucks, there's nowhere to put it because there's only so much conversion that can happen into glycogen. When we run out of that space in your muscles, then your whole body goes, okay, well, well, we better stick it somewhere. So it starts sticking it in really inopportune places. It actually can create fatty droplets within the liver that can become non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Did you know we not only fatty deposit around our liver, but they're now realizing we put fatty deposits around our heart. We put fatty deposits even around our pancreas. And when we get fatty deposits on our pancreas, we really are certain to become insulin resistant. And therefore, we can't get the sugar inside the cell to be burned as fuel. So it starts attacking the outside of the cells, causing systemic inflammation head to toe. And that's why I'm so passionate to help spread the word. You don't have to go off all sweetness. We just got to get off the table sugar. When I hear you break it down that way, I almost look at it like it gives me the feeling that sugar is attacking my body in a very bad way. Therefore, I need to eliminate as much of these refined sugars as possible if I want to be a healthy person. Yeah. Did you know when sugar attacks your eyes, it can create cataracts. When it attacks joints, it can become arthritis. When it attacks your skin, it can actually weather your skin and create more wrinkles. So people who have high blood sugar will notice their skin wrinkles much faster. And it also clogs the arteries. It creates micro fissures in the arteries, creating heart disease. So there's a direct correlation between your inability to break down sugars and your blood sugar being too high through this crazy thing called glycation. Well, that's why you look so fabulous. You live a great lifestyle. You practice what you preach. Sugar is categorized that you can actually have a sugar addiction. Can we just talk just a little bit about that so that people can understand how that works, how to recognize if it if sugar really truly is a problem in your life so that you're not just eliminating, but you're dealing with that addiction as well? Well, when they do a lot of my studies, they've realized that sugar is more addictive than cocaine. So in the limited amount of studies on this, they'll put a little lever in for a mouse to self-administer sugar and then self-administer cocaine. And they noticed that the sugar was actually more uh, seductive for them, that they would eat themselves into a coma. And when we see the brain lit up, it's because we get such a sharp level of dopamine when we eat sugar, and that's our reward center. Naturally occurring sugars bound in fiber like we see in nature is not a big deal. But when we hyper-process it to white, remove all the nutrition out of it, that's when it becomes a highly addictive substance. So that's why I'm here to say, hey, there's 30 sweeteners to choose from that are unrefined 
I'll say there's 30 sweeteners and about 10 of them are extremely good choices. Nature has it right. Nature provides the nutrition you need to break sugar down and the fiber binds it so it trickles into your system like a time-release capsule. What can we have when it comes to sweetness? I would love people to sort of see it as a two-step process. So you can go fast or slow with breaking up with sugar. And some people never need to break up with sugar entirely. We want to start saying, okay, what's the least of the evils? I went for dates and honey because those are far less impactful and have some health benefits. Dates are really special because dates have so much fiber, so much B vitamins, that they've noticed that they really don't spike your blood sugar nearly the same way as regular sugar. And unfortunately, maple syrup is 85% sugar. Hmm. So, so high in sucrose, that it's a good idea to sort of try some of these other sweeteners that are less impactful. And then also, can you lean into plants that are naturally sweet? So we've got licorice, we've got cinnamon, These are naturally sweet things. And what they do is balance your personal blood sugar. So they've noticed how these substances have buffering agents in them, especially cinnamon. The dosage that moderates your blood sugar is just a quarter of a teaspoon can actually pull down your blood sugar when you eat something. So, you know, making something like cinnamon toast would be less impactful than having just really strong sugar sweetened jam on the same piece of toast. So that's a really helpful thing. And then, of course, using as many fruits as possible, especially berries, because they're very low on that glycemic index, that index that teaches you how fast your blood sugar is being elevated by a food. Blueberries are so good, and they really help your body kind of repair some of the dietary damage of that age, the advanced glycation end products. So if you've had a lot of damage, then we want to lean into those wonderful berries and also things like pomegranate seeds are great. So in the book, you'll notice a lot of sweetness coming from fruit. And fruit is just completely different because it's got that amazing matrix of fiber. You'll notice your blood sugar never goes up the same way that refined sugars would. And I have like really great options like a mango pudding in there that's very high in protein and fat. So it's buffering your blood sugar really nicely. And then my favorite sweetener of all time is monk fruit. So monk fruit. I was just going to ask you about monk fruit. So yes. The second level of the course is to say, okay, I'm ready to let go of all caloric sweeteners. So I'm not going to have sugars. I'm going to go for sweeteners that are still a bit sweet, but it's going to deliver that sweetness with a lot of fat and protein. I'm going to let go of using honey in my tea, and I'm going to use this monk fruit liquid, which is a melon from Asia that's 200 times sweeter than sugar, but doesn't have any added calories. So the melon skin is ridiculously sweet, and it's truly a gift from nature because this stuff is crazy sweet. But one drop will do you, like one drop, two drops max in your tea, and you feel like you're drinking a honey-sweetened tea. It's so sweet these things come from nature and they can make a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really where your health is at. I do not diet. I eat according to my goals now because I've learned too much that if you create the wagon, you're going to fall off the wagon. Yes. (laughs) Approach it with that really earnest and very playful way of saying, okay, this is a lifestyle. I'm going to take a run at this. I'm going to see how it feels. You're much more likely to stick with it because you haven't created rigid rules that are forcing you into a box. 
because I came from the diet world, like being a nutritionist, we are constantly schooled on exactly what box to jump into. And here's the menu plan and you need to eat this on a Wednesday night. Well, it never works. And 95% of diets fail. So now I'm like, why don't you just approach this and see where on that sugar-free continuum are you? Just do what fits and feels right in your body. And I think this is such a great place to start for people who have maybe struggled with their weight, have energy issues. They don't quite feel right in their lives. Like I think taking a look at trying to get rid of sugar, becoming sugar-free to some level is a really good way to see how you are, to really check in with your life and your overall health. So what are some of the basics that people should be looking at if they want to start this journey of becoming sugar-free, other than the two obvious ones we just talked about? What are some of the other things that people should know? I wanted to test this really cool study that came out in 2015 that proved if you change the order in which you eat things, you dramatically reduce your blood sugar spikes. So the first day I ate a bagel, then I ate three eggs, then I ate a salad with nice pesto dressing on it. So good quality olive oil. In that order, my blood sugar went up to 8.5. Whoa. I know, it's like way too high. Then the next day I ate the three eggs, Then I ate the salad with the pesto dressing. And then at the very end, I had the grain-free bagel because I'm actually gluten-free. And when I ate it in that order, my blood sugar never went over 5.5. Really? Just change the order in which you eat things and you will dramatically be able to change how you react to the food. Because you need fiber, you need fat, and you need protein to slow down your reaction to carbohydrates. And that's how you're going to break up with carbohydrates. Stop putting it out the front. Stop saying it's the main course and dessert and my snack and start making protein, fat, and fiber the absolute obsession, the main wholesome person next door that you're dating. And then occasionally you can have those carbs and they're not going to run you over. And it's really exciting to hear you say that. And that's doable for everybody. Like we can all do this. I have a treat every day so I don't have to cheat. Yes. Why do we need cheat days? Cheat days are like, hi, I'm going to whack out my body. I'm going to whack out my hormones. I'm going to eat everything I'm allergic to. I'm going to feel like absolute garbage. Why can't we just make treats that make us feel good in the moment and good the next day? That's a real treat because you're treating your palate and you're treating your body right. Julie, you're amazing. I could talk to you for hours. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to add? I think I'd love... To just have people believe that at any time is the right time. A lot of people say, oh, it's not a good time to get started because, you know, I got a wedding coming up or I'm too busy at work. And, you know, I did the Dr. Oz show and I was like so stressed. That's when I doubled down on my healthy nutrition because it focuses your mind and it actually makes you far more positive. And so once we actually put the good nutrition in long enough, all of a sudden we start to touch down with our authentic self and it feels incredible. So I just want to give people that feeling of nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. And I promise you can even taste amazing while you're healing. So thank you for this opportunity, Linda. It's been really fun. What an incredible place to end off with people. And you can follow Julie on Instagram. She's on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Life Unlocked. Let's talk about healthy sugars, shall we? I think so many of us have that sweet tooth. So when it comes to all natural sugar options, let's start with dates. 
They offer several health benefits and are an excellent alternative to refined sugar. They're a good source of fiber, magnesium, potassium, and vitamin B6, just to name a few. Now, even though dates are higher in calories and natural sugars, studies note they don't affect blood sugar levels like table sugar, even among people with diabetes. There's a lot of good in honey. There's an abundance of plant compounds that provide anti-inflammatory and antioxidant benefits. Honey also has a slightly lower glycemic index than table sugar, but use it in moderation as it's still high in calories and sugar. All natural maple syrup from maple tree sap contains a few minerals including calcium, potassium, iron, zinc, and manganese. It may have anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects. However, it is very high in sugar, so use it in moderation. Monk fruit extract is obtained from a plant native to China and is about 300 times sweeter than sugar. It contains no calories and doesn't affect your blood sugar levels. The best part is it tastes a lot like sugar and is an easy substitute for baking. It can often be mixed with other sweeteners, so read your labels. Derived from the leaves of a South American shrub, stevia is a natural sweetener. It contains no calories and is almost 500 times sweeter than sugar. However, it does have an aftertaste, so try it with something sour like lemons in lemonade. Life Unlimited with Stephanie Staples. It's time to recharge, re-energize, and revitalize with our nurse-turned-motivational speaker, Stephanie Staples. Steph, it's so good to have you here. I love being on the other side of the microphone from you, Linda. It's always fun. (laughs) I'm so excited about this just because of what you've called this, because we're talking soul food. So here's a full disclosure from me. Both of my parents were obese for my entire life. And so weight and food, that was the love language. I don't know if it's one of the five love languages, but food was the one we were Italian. Food was it in my house. And that is one of the few memories I have with my dad is like eating together. I'm not obese, but just because someone isn't overweight or obese, it doesn't mean they don't struggle with food. There's been a couple of things that have really stood out for me over the years. And that's what I want to talk about today. So this concept that was playing with about just being satisfied, but then it kind of goes with this whole, many of us grew up with waste. We can't waste and eat what's on your plate. So these two concepts kind of go together to me. The first one is waste is waste, whether it's in the garbage or in your body and eating till you're satisfied versus full. So I'm going to just tell you how this played out for me. So when I travel, my treat is Starbucks. I only ever get Starbucks when I'm in an airport on the way to a work job, a keynote presentation somewhere, and I get a chai latte, extra hot, no water, half sweet, low fat. That is my treat. And I love it. That's soul food to me. (laughs) But I love the warmth on my hands. I love the smell of that chai. I love the taste. I just love it. You know, I was getting like, what's the medium size call? I always get the thing. It gets a vente. Anyways, what's- I get a vente. And then while I'm doing it, I'm in the airport, you know, I'm, I'm reading my magazine or I'm on my phone or I'm doing whatever. So I decided, okay, and actually this is kind of the third tip that goes with, it's just like eating is eating and that's it. You're not doing 18 other things while you're eating. 
So I decide I'm in the airport. I am just, I got my Starbucks, I got my chai, and I'm not doing anything. I just sit down and I just people watch. And I want to notice when I feel satisfied. I'm sip, I sip, I sip. And then I'm finally, I feel satisfied. Could I drink this? Absolutely. But I feel satisfied. So I open the lid to see how much is left. And there is a good third of it left. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, and it's expensive, right? I'm like, I can't throw this away. But waste is waste, whether it's in your body or in the garbage. Oh, I, this kills me, but I let it go into the garbage. It's gone. I don't drink it. I wasted that money, perhaps. But the next time I just ordered a small, which is called a regular. Okay. I think. So the next time I ordered a small, so I thought, okay, the money I wasted on my Vente, I've saved now because now I only ever need a small. So I get my small the next trip and I do the same thing. I don't do anything else. I just notice when I'm satisfied. Then I open my lid and I see there is, I don't know, maybe a quarter left. I'm like, huh, that's interesting to me. I throw it away. Did you know they have a size called a short? No, I actually did not. Yeah, and I know what that one's called. (laughs) And so now I get a short, which is even cheaper, which still has the same warmth. It has the same fragrance. It has the same taste. It's still delicious. I drink it all so I don't waste any. And it's awesome. And it's my soul food. Those three things together. Waste is waste, whether it's in your body or in the garbage. Eating till you're satisfied rather than full even if it's delicious, and just being present with your food, just doing that. Game changer. Now, does that always happen? No, but generally overall, this has been a real game changer for me. This is a really fascinating test that almost your own personal research study that you just did. Taking a moment to realize, do I need all of this? And the other part of this that is so key is not doing a million things as you're eating. Just eat. Just drink your tea. Do what you're doing and be in that moment. One of the hardest things for people to recognize, though, is when they are actually satisfied compared to being so full that they're uncomfortable. And there's lots of studies that show, there's a study about popcorn in the movie theater, and they gave people like horrible popcorn, stale, terrible popcorn. But you know, we just eat it because it's there and that's what you do at a movie theater and etc. right? But you're right. If we can do yeah. this start one meal a day or, you know, 20% of the time or just more than we did yesterday to be present and actually taste our food. Because often this happened. I'm like, where, where did my food go? I don't even remember tasting my food, right? I don't remember the texture of it. I don't remember. And I'm reading a book right now called by Gretchen Rubin. It's called Life in Five Senses, which might be a good conversation for another day. But you know, this has encouraged me more to slow down and just like, oh, if you want to savor that taste, you don't savor it if you're just swallowing it whole in big bites and really quickly and doing 10 other things. It's like, hmm, do I like this flavor? Do I like this texture? Do I like this smell? Does this smell make my food taste better? It's, an, it's like you said, a, kind of a street scientist, right? Conduct your own experiment. Make a little fun out of it. And I think that we'll never be successful in developing a healthy lifestyle if we don't include some of the things that we really love, even if it's not the most nutritious for us. I think we still need to have those, but maybe you don't have the extra large. You take a small piece, you really enjoy it, and you realize that 
this has filled me. It's given me what I needed, but I didn't have to go overboard. And those small changes are what I think really can make a difference in someone's life. It's not about necessarily your size. It's about being healthy. And there's things that we can do so easily in our lives to be healthy, both mentally and physically through the food that we eat and how we eat that food. So I I like that you said that, and it's not necessarily about your size, because we do put a lot of stock in the number on the scale or whatever it is. My fitness thing personally is less about the number on a scale, but is strong, fit and healthy. I want to be able to get down on the floor and get up without using my hands. But what you're saying about having that soul food, like, yes, have it. What we don't want to do is feel deprived. As you make these changes, it's incredible how over a period of time, you will see the differences in your body, in your mental well-being, just overall, when you're eating better, you're still filling your soul with the foods that you love. You're still eating what you love to eat, but really making your health a priority and, and making those right choices. And, and I think that if we could all just do that a little bit more, we would see the benefits of what putting the right food into our body can do. Yeah. And a little bit more is the key, right? If you want to jump in with both feet and do it hundred percent, like more power to you, but most of us aren't going to do that. So something no. is better than nothing. And for me, a big part of it, it's not about that cutting that donut in half and saving those calories. It's about my mindset. It's about what's in between my ears. It's that I have control over food. Food doesn't have control over me. And I don't feel good about me when I feel like food is controlling me. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, it's the bam. It's the, that's Emeril, right? Does anyone remember em- Emeril the chef? He'd go bam after yeah. everything that he <laughs> made. Right. So, But before we go, is there anything else you want to say? You know what? Small changes make a big difference in living your life unlimited. So let's go for it. Mindfulness Moment. In our Mindfulness Moment, yoga therapist Lisa Dumas speaks to mindfully embracing the holiday season. It seems that the holiday season can create an internal sense of guilt and lack as if we're not doing enough, that we're not buying enough. It's a challenging time to move within and cut out the noise and cut out some of the self-help talk and turn our gaze within. However, consider that these winter months, darker, colder months in the Northern Hemisphere might be a time to actually embrace a sense of feeling tired, a sense of feeling not so happy all of the time. I think that a lot of us are told that the emotions of happiness and joyousness, enthusiasm, being good are so much higher or better than the darker shades of the emotion, or should I say just the contrasting shades of emotion. Those exist as well. And perhaps they'd be easier to move through if there was an acceptance that our capacity to notice and feel the entire spectrum of emotion only means that we can feel more of every emotion. How can there be some acceptance? Sometimes the energy that it takes when we feel not good enough or guilty for feeling sad or angry or hopeless from time to time and feeling as though we need to somehow lift ourselves out of that because if we're happy, we're better. Sometimes just the energy around those thoughts can make it worse. 
but the acceptance that we will indeed feel another way because you can think of emotions as having that quality of water. They're very fluid. And if we resist them, are they being held? How can we allow these emotions to flow into our experience, notice and observe them by naming them? Again, emotions have a physical sensation. Might we place a hand where we feel that emotion and acknowledge that emotion? That can be the first step to emotional processing. Giving ourselves permission to feel that emotion. For some people, processing deeper, more intense, challenging emotions can be moved through by journaling about them, by writing them down, by talking to somebody that we care about, by talking to a therapist about them, by physically moving in a way that feels joyful or that feels positive for you. At the holiday season, there are a lot of demands about exercising and it's a time to get back into our exercise routine. Again, this can create a lot of internal pressure and sense of lack. I would invite those who are still concerned about keeping themselves healthy and moving just to know that yes, if we can, we're made to move. And is there a way of movement at this time of year that brings you joy? It doesn't mean you have to go to the gym or buy that exercise bike or go to the classes that are on sale right now. How could you move just through the house or in nature in a way that feels good for you that might include other people, that might include joining some sort of group and feeling a sense of community? That can be something to ask yourself when it comes to keeping yourself moving. And one thing about movement is as we move our body even a little bit, that starts to change our breath. We start to be able to breathe a little bit more deeply and easier. And then that in itself can start to shift in some cases the way we're feeling and the way we're thinking because all of that is connected. And those who talk about changing your thinking, it's often easier to just take an action and to start to move, and that can create that shift. And if there's a moment between thoughts where there's stillness, that's when you can reach for just the knowledge and the memory of a time when you felt better, if that's what's indeed needed in that moment. Because sometimes just the memory of feeling more free or light can remind us that emotions are indeed fluid. And even though we're experiencing something that may be challenging for us, there will be a time that we will be in a different place and our mind will be in a different place. Life is challenging and choosing wellness in our daily lives may seem like adding to the already long to-do list. But together, we can make it easier. Join us on the next Choosing Wellness as we tackle to drink or not to drink. I'm Linda Freeman. Let's connect again soon as we take the journey of Choosing Wellness. You've been listening to Choosing Wellness, an initiative powered by Pattison Media, designed to inspire and motivate a healthy life. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com and everythinglifestyle.ca. Another Everything Podcast production. 
visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Patterson Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.